This is the Florida Spectacular Podcast with your hosts, Kathy Silustri and Rick Kilby. Keep up with Kathy at GreatFloridaRoadTrip.com and on Twitter and Instagram at Kathy Silustri. Find Rick on Twitter at OldFLA and visit his website, RickKilby.com. Now, discover a Florida you never knew existed. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Florida Spectacular. Oh, sorry. Big yawn, Rick. I'm having some trouble this morning getting myself going. How are you doing? It's a crazy morning here. It's It started raining before it was even light, and we've had rain three or four days in a row, and it's just kind of this not, not your usual afternoon rain pattern. It's just raining at very unusual times and very heavy. Last year, I had a lightning strike. We have this huge oak tree out in front. And so the, the branches are starting to to come down. And um, some of those have landed in the yard. So I was out there yesterday morning with my saw trying to get it picked up. So it's, it's a, yeah, it's a little interesting week. And um, I have a lot of deadlines and a lot going on. So I, I'm with you and I think in our, in our mood. Well, we had um, a rainstorm, um, rainstorm, a beautiful thunderstorm started this morning about five and I just love those. And uh, so problem is our, we have one dog who does not. And so we have this 40 pound hound in the bed with us shaking. And I feel so Aww. bad for her because oh, I'm oh, enjoying yeah. it so much. And she's like, help me, save me. Um, but yeah, Florida thunderstorms used to be just afternoons right and now we're getting this we have some of the windows open it just feels wonderful um it was so dark here until just a few minutes ago that um our lights on the back porch that only they were like on a i guess a sensor they came on so it was it was just a nice morning but i'm i'm not waking up as easily as i should it's it, it's a little cool over here too. Of course, if you've got if it's sunny over there, then we'll follow. I'm sure and start temperature will start going up. It it is a nice kind of reprieve from some of the heat we had. Of course, now my yard's going to get even more jungly than ever, and I'll have to get out there and get crazy getting some of the unwanted plants going. But my my desirable plants will be loving this. And I have some volunteers popping up that I'm going to try and propagate. So we're not talking about yards today. We talk about that a lot. <laughs> well, I mean, the rain makes you think of it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, and I have, um, I have the indoors, the outdoors indoors here today. Cause I, you know, we open up the patio when it's beautiful like this and all the little anoles, which everybody calls lizards, run inside. And we actually have quite a population hanging out in the house. You know, I have a lot of house plants and they, uh, you know, we've got our kitchen lizards. We've got the, the home office lizards. I got one living in my dresses in my closet. It's, um, you know, it's very, it's, it's very wild, wild. And it's kind of this Florida thing, um, which is a nice segue to a book I just read. Um, that isn't about lizards, but the title makes me think about Florida. It is a Florida book and it's a new book. It's called Fireworks Every Night by Beth Raymer. I think we're going to have her on the podcast. Um, and, and this isn't what the book is about, but when I when I look around and I realize I have a, a community of lizards living in my house, um, it is like this special thing. This doesn't happen in, in Wisconsin, I don't think. So it's like, oh, fireworks every night, which is a nice, happy title for a book that really wasn't that happy. Um, but, um, you know, I, I'm a sucker for books that are about Florida. I will read anything about Florida you put in front of me with the possible exception of the Hernando de Soto Chronicles, because I read those once and they were boring as hell. And also <laughs> lies, just flat out lies. So. Anyway, I, books. Yes, let's talk about books, not lizards. I have, I have had a problem with books because it's very difficult for me to pass up those free little libraries that are everywhere in my neighborhood. I seem to go on my walk, and if I find anything about Florida, it tends to come home with me, whether I read it or not. And there are a number of books that I have in our bookshelf in the bedroom that I have yet to read, but one day I will. 
fiction and nonfiction, it, I kind of have two categories. Well, actually three categories. I have books that are resources that are nonfiction that I use for my writing. And, you know, I tend to collect those sometimes archival material, sometimes contemporary material that I refer to again and again when I'm doing writing projects. Then I have fiction that's just for fun. And then I have coffee table books. And there's some wonderful Florida coffee table books that I have that I, I cherish. But, you know, it's funny how coffee table books are, unless there's some content that you need to go back for. You kind of look at them once or twice, and they stay on your coffee table or bookshelf. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have a few of those. And um, my coffee table books are not most people's. They're not necessarily pretty picture books. Like I have The Other War of 1812, uh, which has no pictures by Jim Cusick. I have those books because I like to just have them out where I can randomly, if I'm, I guess they're sort of references. And I talk about Florida that much that I feel like I have to have them out where I can grab them, which is probably weird. Um, <laughs> now that I think about it, but I have, I have my reference section. Um, I also have my nonfiction, non-reference section, just nonfiction books about Florida. Well, like, for example, your book, Healing Waters. I don't consider that a reference book as much as a fiction book that I, a nonfiction book that I want to own because I will, I will read it again. Um, but I do use that as reference too. So this is, this is a complicated system. Um, I, and then I, I, have, I have Florida fiction, which is my lion's share of what I read. I will say this, that on my Florida's Healing Water, I spent a lot of time on the index and on the bibliography so that it could be used for reference because that was my intention. It is, you know, I was thinking about that this morning is as a writer, you know, like when I wrote my book, my intention was this was a story, a Florida history story that really hadn't been covered the way it should be. And I really wanted just to bring the stories to light. And it you know, selling books never really entered into that. That's not my goal to sell a lot of books. And what do you think when you write? Are you, are you, what are your goals? What keeps you going? What, what makes you, you do it? When I write, um, yeah. I have to get it out of my brain. I know mm -hmm. that sounds vaguely tragic. I get it. I get it. Usually when I, when I get going on something, it, it, it makes me sound like I'm mentally ill, but I don't think that I am. The words will start, like the story will start banging. And even when it's nonfiction, it's a story, right? You want you want to tell the story of whatever it is you're writing about. The story will start ricocheting around in my brain and it starts to disrupt other areas of my life, like sleeping or writing that I'm doing for paying the bills, you know, because as much as I love selling books and I do make money off my book, um, it's not what's keeping the lights on at the house, right? Like, so the 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 800 word piece about places to eat in Sarasota, that's what's doing it. And so when these stories start to interfere with my ability to edit stuff or write things that I need to write to be able to, to eat, um, I know it's time to sit down and I have to do it. Yeah. it it's a compulsion. It, it's the words just, if you could picture words slamming around in my brain, like a little cartoon going zing, 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 that's, that's kind of what happens. And, probably not um healthy i, I do I, I i know exactly what you're talking about it's something internal that you just have to get out and you know what i when i was writing my book i would say i you know i had i'm very deadline oriented because i'm a graphic designer i have to be and so when once i got that sixty thousand word deadline i had a year to do it and so I would, I, you know, the easiest way for me to accomplish that was take it a bite-sized chunk at a time. And I would write until I wrote myself into a box, stop, sleep on it. And the solution how to get out of that box would really usually present itself the next day, you, you know. So I was right, you know, wake up super early, write as much as I could to where I just couldn't figure out where to go from there. And then I just kind of would let go of it. And then first thing in the morning, the next day, early, <laughs> early in the morning, I'd be laying there and it was like, I need to do this, this, and this, and this, and figure it out. It, you know, it's definitely this internal process. It's so funny because I think about all these AI things and, you know, I'm wondering how that's going to affect the creative process. I know people who are using that as kind of idea generators and... I don't know if that's cheating or if it's a good thing. And that maybe is too far afield from our topic today. 
but um, I was thinking about the writing process in terms of the things that we read and tend to keep on our bookshelves. Yeah, there's some uh, some that I keep some some things that I keep I keep because I simply like to read, and then um, there's some things that I keep because I want to study how the writer has told the story, and I mm. want I want to reread it for that. So, for example, I will reread um, over and over again the early Randy Wayne White books. I love reading like um, Sanibel Flats, The Man Who Invented Florida. I mean, those were some of my earliest Florida fiction reading that I really got engaged with. Like it, it, it made something trigger in my brain, right? Like, hey, people write about Florida. Maybe I could do that. Um, and then there are some that I will read. And I know that uh, he recently died. He was a brilliant writer, Tom Corcoran, um, his fiction. I like how he weaves in or weaved, I guess is what we say now, a sense of place with the story. Um, and, and I find that to just be masterful. I like the way he structured Florida as a character in his in his murder mysteries. Um, there's one scene I can remember from the Mango Opera, which I think was his first in the um, Alex Rutledge series. And he's in his outdoor shower and the way he's describing the smell of um, the, the blooms and the flowers around him and everything. And then he almost gets killed. I mean, it's just a really nice piece of writing. And it makes I, I like to go back and reread that and kind of pick apart what he did, because I really found it to be um, one of those things that I couldn't quote it. But I have he has done he did such a great job of writing the scene that I can picture it in my mind. Like I can picture the whole scene in my mind. And that unfortunately is really rare with uh, trade fiction. I mean, when you're dealing with people who, the writers with a capital W, you know, that, that aren't necessarily page turners, but they spend a lot of time on language, they will paint pictures. But when you're dealing with someone who's also writing a murder mystery and throwing in a dash of misogyny and a little bit of sex, it's really rare to have that imagery. Um, it was, it was. I, I, I suggested one of his books to a book club and all the women hated it. They thought he was a misogynist. And I'm like, why? And he's like, they were upset. Well, he's just, you know, sleeping with all these women. I'm like, well, that's every murder mystery written by a man ever. Like that's, you know, every, every mystery author. And I, I include my favorites in there. I, I include the big ones in Florida, Tim Dorsey, um, Randy Wayne White, Carl Hyacinth. They all do this thing where the main character is this physically eh, guy who's middle aged, maybe a little out of shape, maybe a serial killer. And they're just beating off these young women with a stick. <laughs> that's, that's like part of the plot. I, I just accept it and ignore it because we know that doesn't really happen. Um, Not to me fair. anyways. <laughs> well, it makes me news for your wife. Uh, yes, it is. You know, it makes me think of John D. McDonald. Uh, when I was a kid, we would, you know, we had a place we would drive to from Gainesville on the weekends, and we'd always stop at used bookstores. And my parents were all, or my dad, I guess, was probably always on the lookout for the John D. McDonald paperbacks. And as a kid, I was obsessed, you know, with the sexy covers, and you know, they, they all had colors, cinnamon and pale gray sky. I can't name them all, but I remember just growing up around those. So I have gone back and read some of those and they're very formulaic. It's kind of like comfort food, you know, kind of what's going to happen. You know, it's going to get more complicated. At some point, Travis McGee, who's the hero of the book is going to get beat up. And then there's going to be this huge fight at the end and Travis McGee's going to be almost killed, but he's going to end up, you know, with the, the lovely lady and, it's it's comforting if you want something where it's not a, that much of a stretch where you know exactly what's going to go down and if you can get yourself through those things. But to me, it's the, that's the perfect example of what you're you're talking about from a from a different time period. He's a little bit more. He may you know he may be responsible. Maybe he and Elmer Leonard for kind of creating that genre. What do you think? He is that? responsible. He is responsible single handedly. Um, he is credited 
for Travis McGee, or, uh, sorry, uh, John D. McDonald is credited for creating um, that genre. Uh, what do they call it? Eco? Because he, he was the first person to bring environmental awareness to his books. And he's he was a fascinating writer. You know how he got his start? He was no. in the army and he was writing short stories and sending them home to his wife who was sending, he didn't know this, I don't think, she was sending them off to publishers. So he came home from the war and she's like, <laughs> by the way, you're a published writer now. Um, and I mean, there's, we could do, he just has a, had a fascinating writing history. I mean, he was a prolific freelancer and he would freelance for some magazines so much that they had to give him different bylines so that it didn't look like he was writing the whole magazine. Um <laughs> So, and, and his books, I have to say this about John D. McDonald, and I'm going to, we're definitely putting a link to the series. The first one is A Deep Blue Goodbye. Um, the colors, every book in the Travis McGee series has a color, and that was by design. His publisher wanted that. And the thinking was if someone's in an airport, they could look at the color and go, oh, wait, Deep Blue Goodbye. I read that one. I need Nightmare on Pink. And it was a, it was a marketing thing, and it's brilliant. Um, and then the last thing about John D. McDonald, I'll say, because I should have started with him, is my dad actually went to use bookstores and found, pieced together the entire collection. I wow. believe he got the entire, with some of the original colors, uh, covers where, you know, now they're photographs on the covers if you buy them, but they used to be uh, drawings of very sexy women usually. Yeah, they're right? illustrations. It's, you know, it reminds me of that whole, uh, fantasy artwork that was very popular when I was a kid, like Frank Frazetta, you know, this sexy lady, mm -hmm. but he, you know, he had definitely had a look and, you know, as a young kid and teenager growing up, that was one of the things that attraction attracted me. But I have to say, I couldn't tell you which ones I've read based on colors alone. I know I read the cinnamon one and I know there's one that's pale something, but, and I have, you know, I have a stack of them. They, I found them at a used bookstore and I bought all that they had because I just think they're, you know, I can't help myself. And I can't tell you which ones I've read and which ones I haven't. Because the other thing is, you know, you start reading it and it's like, well, this seems kind of familiar. Did I read this one already? You know, there's this young lady and she's in trouble. Oh, wait a minute. That's all of the books. <laughs> um, you're talking about a, a pale gray for guilt is the pale gray one. Yeah, I think I read that one. Yes. I accidentally um, read the last one. I, so I didn't read them in order. And I read the last one. And it's like, darn, spoiler. Well, you know, I am um, problem because I have a little free library. My dad built it for me when we bought the house. And um, I used to go through because people trash these things, by the way. People absolutely will shove weird shit in a little free library please yeah. do not put your plastic bags do not put your bible tracks do not put your jehovah's witness marketing material don't put cds dvds magazines just put books in sorry had to get that off my chest so uh, uh long story story short is i will end up going out there and going to straighten it up and i will find books and go oh, i gotta have this one so now i actually have several um, several duplicates of a few Carl Hyacin books because I won't loan out my copies. I refuse to do it. Um, I'm very bad about things like that. Um, Carl Hyacin is another one to me. Like, you know, I, he's, it's great if you're on a road trip and you want to listen to what used to be called books on tape. I don't know what they call it now. I don't have all audible audiobooks. Uh, yeah. Audiobooks. But I can't remember which ones I've listened to because, again, oh, Skink comes at the end, you know, <laughs> and, and saves the day. <laughs> now, see, that's interesting because the Carl Hyacin ones I don't find to be the same. Um, Randy Wayne White, not so much. I'm having more and more trouble with his. Yeah. Um, but Carl Hyacin, you know... I would have told you once upon a time, my favorite book of his was Touristy. And that's the one, Rick, if you can't remember, that's the one where um, Skip Wiley is the journalist who is, he's a South Florida journalist and he basically has a break. He is just done reporting on all the shitty things we're doing to the environment and the 
corrupt city councils and he takes the law into his own hand. And it ends with this glorious scene with him driving. It doesn't end with it, but close to the end, they have him um, on an airboat in the middle of the Orange Bowl. He he disrupts the halftime show and he takes an airboat onto the field. And then the book ends so poignantly with they're about to dynamite the site for development and Skip Wiley won't leave. He's climbing up a tree trying to convince the, I don't even remember if it was an eagle or an osprey, to just move and fly away so that it doesn't get killed. And we're supposed to believe at the end of the book, he dies doing that. Um, so, so I would have told you once upon a time, tourist season was my favorite Carl Hyacin book. Um, and there was no skink in tourist season. By the way. Oh, I, you know, um, I have the book, but I don't think I've read it. So, um, you, oh, well, you ruined, ruined, ruined the ending for, for you. <laughs> um, it's, it's worth reading. And then I read Stormy Weather. Which have you read again? You don't know. It's the one about the hurricane. Yes. Oh, that's so funny. That's I mean, so, so funny. Stormy weather. Um, the main character is popping Viagra through the whole thing. That guy. Um, that I don't remember. It's after Hurricane Andrew and all the stuff. It is after Hurricane Andrew. Yes, I read that. That's a great one. That I so I I just laughed my ass off on that one. For for those of you listening who haven't read it, um, Hyacin wrote this. You know, he was south at the time. He lived in South Florida, um, and he wrote it after Hurricane Andrew came through in 1992 and absolutely devastated everything. And there's a lot of fact in the book, um, but this is this is the first book I think I read them out of order. So this is the first book, um, Rick, that I think I read about skink, and the book opens with Skink going to the top of the Card Sound Bridge, which is the bridge that takes you into the Florida Keys, because he wants to lash himself to the bridge as the hurricane comes to feel the force of nature. But while he's trying to do it, there are these fraternity boys who are just jerks evacuating the keys and they throw a beer can out the car window and he um, brings justice to that affront to the environment. <laughs> Ah, um, oh, those are so much fun. I, they, reminds, are, they are fun. It just, it makes you love Florida. I've got tourist season 30 some odd years ago now, I guess. Almost 30 years ago, I had a job selling shoes at Dillard's and I worked in a mall and we had an hour lunch break and there was no getting around it. You couldn't like do, can I do a 30 minute lunch break and take a half hour off my schedule? No, you took that whole hour. I do not need an hour to eat. I do not need to spend time in the mall. But at the time, Walden Books was a thing. I don't think they exist anymore, do they? I don't think so. Well, I was just looking for something to read. And I hadn't yet um, hadn't yet really discovered Florida fiction. And so I walked over to the Walden Books and I saw there was a cardboard stand. You know, like those cardboard yeah. stands you used to see on the end of an aisle and it had just tourist season in it and it had an alligator on the cover and a bright yellow cover. And I went, what the hell I'll get this and read on my lunch hour. And I sat in the mall and I read that book and I was laughing out loud, like verbally, verbally disruptive, laughing, um, laughing out loud, reading that book. And that was, that was like my, that was my gateway book to Florida fiction. It really was from there. It just, I was already reading Randy Wayne white, but Randy Wayne white books aren't books that you laugh at. No, like they're, they're more thoughtful mysteries with sex. Yeah. His sex is also always very behind closed doors. Like he has, uh, his main character knocked up a woman and we never see them having sex, but it's just different. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it was tourist season was really my gateway drug for, for that sort of thing. And I, I, I can't recommend that book enough to people because it really has so much in it. Anyway, anyway, what else do you read? What else? What so else are you telling people? there's a couple authors who are newer, younger writers and a little bit edgier who I like. Um, have you read Kristen Arnett? She wrote a book uh, about taxidermy called mostly dead things. And of course, I got it from the for the taxidermy. I and loved it. She's a Central Floridian. I am familiar with Kristen Arnett. Um, I read, I believe, with teeth. 
Um, but I did not read mostly dead things because I asked the, the person is, you've got to read this, Kathy. It's right up your al- aisle, alley, right up your alley. And I, um, I looked at it and I said, do animals die in this? <laughs> and they said, yes, but for taxidermy, I said, how do the animals die? Is it going to upset me? And they said, well, some of the ways they get the animal. Yeah, you shouldn't read it. Like people who know me, but I did really enjoy with teeth by Kristen Arnett. That was a deeply disturbing, lovely book. I will say that she collects roadkill and that's kind of a thing. She drives around. She, she used to do it with her father and she would drive around and collect mostly dead things off the road. There, yeah, there's an egret thing that's really tough to read, but I, it's just so quirky and wacky. And you know, they they make taxidermy into an art, and it's just so much fun. And Is it not? I, well, like I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but but taking well, taxidermy it, it, for everybody and making it like into. Um, rearranging them and embellishing them so they're they're more than just the dead animals you know so they're they're became become whole vignettes almost like places you would go to in florida but this is kind of um high art supposedly and it's so much fun and i I really enjoyed it um and honestly you know i have to say it's got a wonderful cover with this uh, flamingo on it and I, one of the reasons I got sucked into the cover, I'm a graphic designer. So when you talk about the cover on Carl Heisen books, you know, I'm attracted to those immediately. I, you know, most of these writers we talk to have very strong cover art. You know, we talked about John McDonald, uh, of course, um, Tim Dorsey, his covers are, are really good. You know, they have strong graphic design that, you know, if anything, it's like a billboard for Florida, you know, all these, all these writers. And one, another one that I like um, is a Gainesville writer, Lauren Groff. And she has one called Florida, which is a collection of short stories that has a panther on it. That's beautifully designed as well. Um, I love that. Um, I really, really like that book. Um, There were some wonderful, I tell people to read Florida by Lauren Groff, because if you don't like one story there will be another one you do like yeah like it 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 has something for everybody um it's just yeah i think she's a real rock star fates and furies is one of my favorite books i ever read and it's not a florida book but it's kind of was my great gateway drug to her writing i there's a um do you know rhett miller who's the lead singer of the old um 97's band he has a pod- he has a podcast and it's all about creativity and he interviewed her and based on that interview I got Fates and Furies and then I just you know read old Matrix and uh, Florida and uh, more of her books because I loved her writing so much and uh, yeah I don't think you will regret picking up anything of hers honestly and there's another one who uh, Sarah something or other do you know who I'm talking about she's another one of those young Florida writers. Oh yes, I do, but I don't know who. I... Not Swamplandia. Oh, Sunshine State. It's Sarah Gerard. Sarah Gerard. And it's, I think she grew up over in Clearwater, so a lot of it happens over yes. there. Um, kind of short stories again. Uh, I enjoyed it again. Some of the stories more than others. Um, it's, it's hard for me to, you know, a lot of this more contemporary stuff. Are young people making bad decisions? And it's hard for me. I, you know, maybe it shows my age. But any television stuff where people like Lucy, I could not stand Lucille Ball and the Lucy show because she would just be doing stupid stuff and it made me crazy. So if young people are doing stupid things, it's really hard for me to sit through. You know? So did you how did you feel about have you read Davida Breyer's sinkhole? Because I wanted to definitely um give a shout out to that. I really thought that was a great book. No, it but, sounds great. Um, Tell me more. It is. It is. So she, um, it's told from the point of view as the main character returning home. Um, she's left. She lived in Lorida, Lorida, Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she basically left and she's coming back because her mother's in the hospital and she is basically, um, she grew up poor. But now she's completely separate from her family. And what she does is she starts to tell the story 
um, going back in time. And it's just, uh, it's a coming of age novel, I guess is the best way to describe it. It's 1980s Central Florida perfection in the way uh, she writes. Um, in fact, the promo for the book was uh, a cassette tape that was called Sinkhole. Like it was like a mixtape. It looked like it was just a sticker. Oh, how cool. Um, it was a re- it was really nice. And it, um, I can't really talk too much about it without giving away a lot. But essentially, growing up, she had met a very rich girl who became her best friend. Um, other than she was also friends with this other young boy. And um, it, it just goes really, really, I, I can't even, it goes so sideways. And it's not necessarily, it's not that the, the main character makes some bad decisions. It's just, uh, it, it, it is a coming of age novel and she suffers from the results of who her friends were. It's, it's really well-crafted. And can you, can you say the author's ends, name again? Davida, like David A. G. Breyer, B-R-E-I-E-R. I'll have a link to this. Um, okay. It came out last May. And she was actually on our podcast um, I think before I even had a co-host. It was a long, feels like it's been a long time ago. But um, <laughs> I, would, I, I, I enjoyed her so much and I enjoyed her book so much. Brad Bertelli introduced me to her. Um, and um, I... I can't wait for her to come down so I can meet her. She was just such an affable, warm person. And after she grew up about the same time I did. Um, and so after reading the book, you really feel like an affinity for this writer. If, if you grew up in the eighties in Florida, um, the sub, the, the, the tagline for the book is boiled peanuts, love bugs and murder. So I had to tell y'all you need to know about why I like it. So, uh, but speaking of Brad, he has a fiction book that he self-published. And I am by and large not a fan of self-published books, but it was such a delight to read. Um, it was called, shit, Brad Bertelli, what was this called? I always get the name confused. Um, in fact, when I first tweeted about the book, he's like, that's great. You know, that's not the name of the book, right? So I want to be very clear uh, that I get it right. Um, his It's a self-published book and it is called the Florida Keys Skunk Ape Files. And uh, it is Tales of Florida's Bigfoot. And it's, it's fiction. It's all fiction. And it's, uh, it, he's created this fake society, the Southernmost Skunk Ape Society, um, that, you know, these two guys find this diary with all these reported events going back to the 1700s where Bigfoot and in Florida was doing all these things. And he goes to each one is a little essay. It's literally maybe two pages, three pages. Um, and so it's the diary entry and then contemporary notes. And he takes you to all these places around the Florida Keys that are real places with real history. And he just weaves this skunk ape. One of the stories is true um, or is real, I guess I should say. Um, and it was just a really fun read. Um, and, uh, a side note about this book is he also writes a history column for Keys Weekly. So people read this book, which is to me clearly fiction, but they think it's real. Oh no. Oh yes. Oh no. Um, oh yeah. Well, because his other books are like Florida Keys History with Brad Bertelli, volume one, um, he wrote, you know, he has all these images of America's book. He's also written The Locals Guide to Bloodline, 50 Film Locations in the Keys, Best Places to Snorkel in the Keys. I mean, he's got all these nonfiction books. And then in the middle of it, he has this fiction book. And it's it's very confusing for people. Yeah, that's why but you have a pen name. <laughs> well, but, you know, if your name is known. But it's fun. It, it's fun. It's fun reading. It's quick reading, it's fun reading, and it makes me happy. And there's enough going on in the world that makes me not happy, right? Yeah, so. yeah. Well, you know, it makes me think of a couple of young adult, and I don't generally read that. You know, I thought about it with Carl Heisen, who wrote that wonderful book, Hoot, that was about the um, those tiny little owls. Burrowing Owls, is that what they're called? Burrowing Owls, that was a great book. Yeah, it's a wonderful book. And then another one that came to mind was um, Because of Winn-Dixie. Kate- oh, Kate DiCamillo, I think is her name, that I read, you know, it's, it's in that same genre. And it just, you know, it was a lovely, 
you know, coming of age kind of story that reeks of Florida. And it's just, you know, it's a nice Florida. It's reeks of Florida. Well, Um, Carl Hyacin has also written a few more books for kids that he started to introduce skink into. And I think, you know, those are, those are, I don't, unlike you, I don't typically read YA, but I read those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's so good. I mean, Carl Hyacin is is just, he's one of the best. And he makes me, you know, I I was, in preparation of this, I took pictures of my bookshelf to see what's actually on there that I haven't read. And there is a lot of Carl Hyacin that I need to go back and read. And actually, a lot of John D. McDonald that I need to go back to read. Um, Have you ever read Susan Carroll McCarthy? Any of her stuff? She wrote one called um, Lay That Trumpet in Our Hands. Not not long light reading it's kind of deals with some of the uh unpleasantness that happened around the kkk in central florida you know that um what's his name has written about gilbert king but from a a fictional point of view it's it's a good book and she also wrote a follow-up to that that was about um i don't know if you know this there was a Air, air force base here that later became well, no, it's separate from McCoy, but it was called Pine Castle Air Force Base. And a lot, during the Cold War, a lot of the U-2 planes and spy planes took off for, right here from Central Florida. And it talks about the Cuban Missile Crisis in Central Florida. And I don't remember the name of that book. And I haven't read it, but I did read Lay, uh, Lay That Trumpet in Our Hands and enjoyed it very much uh, from the civil rights era in central Florida. And so a lot of the characters that are in Gilbert King's books, I shouldn't say characters, the individuals are characters in her book as well. Um, I think she lives in San Diego now, but grew up right here in Orlando. So that's another one that I, I would recommend. So we're kind of giving the whole spectrum of fiction. Maybe we should save nonfiction for another time. Definitely, because I still have a couple of fiction books that I think are uh, definitely, definitely worth a read. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of this or read it. It's from a smaller press and it's called Islands of Cedars. And it's it's a novel by Shana Smith or Shana Smith. Um, and it's a fairly new one. And someone told me, Kathy, you would like this book. So I got it from the library and I stared at it. Because I really thought, just from the cover, I thought, oh, this is going to be like, it looked like another book someone had suggested that was an insufferable romance slash mystery book that just, the the heroine was a simpering idiot. And so I looked at this one, I'm like, oh, this looks like the same thing. Just from the cover, which is actually a beautiful cover. It's got, you know, um, cabbage palms and some some grass and an egret on it. And I didn't read it. Finally, I brought it on vacation. The book is overdue from the library at this point. Right. Um, but I'm like, well, I've got it. I, this person, I don't remember who told me to read it, but someone's going to ask me about it. And I'm, I at least want to say I tried to read it. I got so sucked into this book. I read it in a day and it is about, it's fiction. And it is about um, Rosewood. And oh. it tells, but it goes forward. It, it, it's really interesting because. It's not 100% a ghost story, but it does have different points of views. And one of them is one of the men who was murdered during the Rosewood Massacre. And he has um, essentially um, his spirit is trapped in this tree that he loves. And then his great grandson... um, meets up with the great great granddaughter of uh a model a model polly parker i cannot say her seminal name i'm sorry and the son of uh the son of the leader of a local kkk and they all come together and it's just this really compelling fiction story about um it's it's um it's just a really compelling story about how they they go about trying to rectify some of some of the things that happened at Rosewood. So I can't recommend that one enough as far as fiction goes. Um, wow. I have to check. That sounds really interesting. It was, yeah. I, I'm not doing a good, a good job explaining it, but I went from, Oh, I don't want to read this. It looks ridiculous to, I should have bought it and not 
gotten it from the library. So what's your favorite Florida fiction book? Well, I was going to see if we could go the whole episode without saying Patrick Smith, but I, honestly, really? I don't know that I have a favorite. I mean, they're all so different. I mean, okay, I won't say Patrick Smith. I will say this. Patrick Smith is an I mean, easy read. Can. It's an okay. easy read. It's a fun, easy read. It it makes old Florida come alive. Everybody loves it. I don't know that they're, I'm, you know, it's just easy. It's simple. It's, it's light. It's, you know. Could those books be written today? They would have to be different. They would have right. to be different. I, you know, it, it's hard because like you, you, I, when I get a, a book that I really like, that's a page turner, I have impulse control problems and tend to want to do nothing but read it. And so I limit how much I read because I have other things in life I want to do. <laughs> so generally I read stuff like that when I'm on vacation. And I would say my favorite book is generally the one I read on my last vacation if I read something related to Florida. So it's hard for me to pick just one. I don't think I'm probably as well written as uh, well read as you. I'm looking over well, I, at my nonfiction bookshelf to see if there's any. I have well, I, the master's degree in Florida studies. It made you read like it was like five thousand pages of reading a week. Wow! So um, I'm in my bookshelf closet here. I don't know if you can see it. But I'm trying to think because I'm worried wow. you're going to ask me what my favorite. Yeah, this, these are just the ones I've read. Um, but I, I'm trying to figure out if you ask me, God, there's other fiction books we didn't even mention. But if you ask me what my favorite Florida fiction is, I don't know if I can pick one. Yeah, really I think it's too hard. I mean, there's some of them that every everybody likes and I read and I just can't do it. Like Swamplandia was one that everybody was talking about. And I, I think I, I was of, with Swamplandia until the young girl got raped. I, 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 like, I bailed. I was completely betrayed. I was so angry. Um, I bailed on yeah. it. I couldn't finish it. And you know that that's another one where it was kind of she's the young hot writer, New York Times, all that stuff. It's Florida. It's old attraction. Um, I just couldn't do it. So I, I well, no, you, ha I you have I, a big I, book I was, collection. That, I didn't show you all of it. I didn't show you that. That that that's um, that's it's a problem. Rick. This is compelling like, a compelling podcast when we're seeing your books. Yeah, I I, I know I mean, where I'm going to get rid of all, all the books I don't want. I, you, you know dare. I'm I'm that don't way. Dare. I'm that way more with nonfiction because I, a lot of times I think, oh, this has something useful in it, and I I can use this when I go to write about whatever and. Uh, Tends to um, I don't know take up space in my bookshelf. So I'm there, trying. So there's so many classics too, like um, the Barefoot Mailman and Lion's Paw and all that stuff. Oh, you know what we read when I when I was a kid? Lost in the Everglades. That book had such an impact on my life. Lost and my, in the Everglades. I haven't even heard of that. What is my, that? Oh, uh, let me see who wrote it. My my brother has um read it with whenever he dated somebody and they had kids he um has kept the tradition alive and um read that book with them because uh, i'm trying to find who it's book uh, by uh carolyn keen perhaps i don't know she Maybe lost in the everglades that's a nancy drew story no, that's not the one. Maybe it's maybe I got the title wrong. Well, now I got to read it. It's not an Nancy Drew one. Ah, it had a cool no, cover. I'm I'm gonna have to dig it Drew up. Drew Lost in the Everglades is definitely something. I mean, I was more of a <laughs> Pixie Belden person, but um, when I did Hardy Boys for me, I I, I'm gonna have to find it. Um, no, maybe we'll it's Lucy notes. Salmanca. Is that could be it? I don't know. I had to dig it up, but you know, I think it was about fourth grade when I read it, and we loved it. You know, it's this kid, and he's out there, and he has to rely on his um, skills to get by. You know, and he's going from um, cypress hammock to cypress hammocks, and there's snakes and all that kind of stuff. He's making fishing hooks. It's, oh, I loved it. I loved it. I honestly, that really had a big effect 
on my love of Florida, and I'm I need to find out more about it. But that just came out of the blue. I hadn't thought about that book in years, except for my brother would mention it. He's dated a couple um, before he got in this relationship. He's in now um, women who had children, and he always reads that book with them and um, turns them into Florida files. That is a good mission. Yeah, I I, I applaud that. Um, Two more authors I want to mention before we wrap it up. Okay. Um, fiction. One is, and this is going to shock you, a, a mystery series set in the Keys, right? So, wow, Kathy, you <laughs> something about the Keys. Uh, her name is Lucy Burdett, and she is uh, writing a Key West food critic series, I think is what it's called. Um, but it's about a woman who gets job as a food critic for a Key West paper and she keeps stumbling over dead bodies but she lives on a houseboat and I mean she's her best friend is like an 80 year old woman on the houseboat next door um she's written I think 13 of these I read somebody recommended it to me I read one that was halfway through and then I had to go back and get all the other books to read it and I think they're um just really fun books to read I, I did the, there's a problem with all these books, right? It's the same thing that you get in a lot of other types of murder. And, and it's not just books, but when you get into these murder mystery TV shows and it's not a cop show, at some point, the authorities have to wonder, right? Like, how is this woman finding all these dead bodies and nobody else is? <laughs> but it, I don't even care. I just, um, I just like reading like reading them. Uh, the first book, if you want to get started, is called An Appetite for Murder. Um, and it's really, it, it, it's a really great series. It's a fun series. It's an easy read. If you like cozies, this is, this is it for you. Cozies? Other, is that a word? Cozies? cozies? I oh, like that. Yeah. Uh, cozy mysteries are, um, they are, uh, they're easy reads. They're brain candy. So cozy mysteries are essentially murder mysteries where um, there's no real gore and all of the sex is very fade to black. Like you could have your child read these and there wouldn't be anything untoward in them. Uh, so they're they're cozy cozy up by the fire and you read one or you cozy up by the thunderstorm and you read one uh it's a whole thing and there's a strict set of rules and and don't vary them um because the readers will get pissed uh don't write a graphic sex scene when you're usually not doing that don't show don't show a lot of gore um but they're really i mean we could do a whole podcast on florida cozy mysteries because there are <laughs> a lot of them and they're great um and this is one of them now, on the other side of the fiction, I'm going to point to a book that I believe is out of print, and uh, there's a few of them. The woman's real name is Charlotte Douglas, and she lives in the Tampa Bay area, and she's written a ton of books, like legitimately had a contract with Harlequin and wrote a bunch of books, but also wrote these Gothic, um, these Gothic reads that were set at the Tampa Bay hotel, which is now the university of Tampa. One of them was set at the Bellevue Biltmore, which is another um, historic Henry plant venue. And uh, so she either wrote as Charlotte Douglas or Marina Malcolm. There's, there's um, two names she used, but the Marina Malcolm is, her pen name for the historic gothics and there's like secrets in the shadows, darkness, at fair winds. But then um, the Charlotte Douglas ones, some of her Harlequin, which are more contemporary romance novels. There's one that has time travel set at the Bellevue Biltmore uh, where the woman goes to stay for the night and wakes up back in the day, the heyday of the Bellevue Biltmore when it was a very Tony resort and, falls in love with the guy from back then and they time travel. It's really interesting, really good stuff. Now the Marina Malcolm books are out of print. So you basically have to buy them used and they're worth a read though. Cause they are gothics and I do, I do like it. I mean, it's like the traditional Gothic with the historic building and the woman in the long 
flowing dress and of course some lovely cleavage because why not? Um, and those are kind of little hidden gems that I feel like should have gotten more attention. She might've actually been a little too ahead of her time writing about that. When, when were like, these written? So let's see secret in the shadows, which is the, um, when was it written? You know, honestly, Rick, I gotta go get it out of my book, my bookshelf because it's not even telling me on Amazon. And if it's not on Amazon, it doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> I got, my mom bought them for me in the nineties. So uh, uh, early nineties. So darkness at Fairwinds was the one that was written about the Tampa. It was set at the Tampa Bay hotel and that yeah. was published in 1993. Uh Jacaranda Bend, I don't remember where that one was set. But I mean, these books were so cheap. They were $4. If that gives you an idea of how old they are. Um, that was 1993 as well. And then um, Secrets in the Shadows, which is probably my favorite just because I knew that hotel very well. That was 1991. Um, so I just think if she were writing these now or if they would re-release them now with Florida being so exciting to people, yeah. To read about it. Was, yeah. They it sound was, interesting. You know, I, I love, I love those Victorian era hotels. I mean, it's one of the things that motivated me to write about, you know, um, Florida's healing waters is, you know, places like the Tampa Bay hotel and the Bellevue Biltmore. There's not, there's yeah. one, there's a, a one that I have that I haven't been able to get through is called the flame tree by Theodore Pratt. That's, uh, you know, about the Royal Poinciana hotel that was down in um, Palm beach. Same same kind of thing, but it's kind of classic Florida fiction. I'm trying to think when that was written way back when. It's the same guy who wrote The Barefoot Mailman. So Absolutely. a long, long, long time ago. But yeah, I, I'd love to read those. It sounds great. And we need to do a show just about the Bellevue Biltmore with You Know Who as our guest. The Rocket Man. You Know Who. Oh, Joey. I just saw Joey and I did a talk Monday night. Um, classic cocktails and historic hotels and we went through i did a blog post um with just the contact information all the historic hotels not all of them but many of the historic hotels in florida that are still open as hotels where you can book a place to stay oh um, well let's let's do a podcast on that too that's very exciting i'd love to do that so lots of podcasts coming up so that's a great reason <laughs> for everybody who is listening to <laughs> click subscribe if you haven't already and make sure you check back every week I think we have exhausted our, our audience's listening skills. We've gone long. I know we haven't talked about all the books yet, but we can always come back and we will put links to all of these in the show notes, of course. Yeah, I'd love to hear from people and let, and let us know what we forgot, you know, which books do they love? And I'm there, you know, we've just scratched the surface basically. So what did, yeah. what did we leave out? Maybe we can come back and do readers' favorites or listeners' favorites. Do, Kathy at floridaspectacular.com. We we love, as we said last week, we love constructive listener feedback. And <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, folks, thank you for listening. We really enjoy doing the podcast in case you can't tell. I hope you're enjoying listening to it just as much. And uh, we will be back next week. And I believe next week we are going to talk about Florida websites we think you should follow and blogs and the digital Podcasts. Florida. Podcasts. Yes, that too. Mm. All right. Thanks, Rick. I'm going to go read now. <laughs> Lucky you. I got work to do. <laughs> Me too. All right. We'll see you next time on the Florida Spectacular. Thanks for listening. <laughs>